again. I want to thank you guys for being here and um, finishing up this portion of the letter of to the Ephesians. And uh, when we first started uh, on this portion, we started in a section that, or in a verse that seems to be out of section, but really it's a continuous thought, and that was in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, and as I mentioned to you about the uh, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so when we talked about submitting to one another and uh, what that means and how I submit to you, you submit to me, and how we are to submit to one another in various roles that we play, and we talked about this because it seems that in most Bibles there's a division. And in, right in that division, there's uh, verse 22 has a title or a head, uh, setting that says wives and husbands. And there are some Bibles that say wives submit to your husbands and so on and so forth. But, you know, as I mentioned before, the chapters and verses didn't actually get inserted until much later after the Bible was put together. The Bible was finally canonized, meaning it was made a standard in about the year 300. And it says this is all the books that we're going to put together. There were a lot of other books that they didn't put in because they, they didn't seem to have the same story of grace. There were a lot of works-oriented um, ideas and uh, things that just really didn't make any sense and uh, people's other people's thoughts and ideas. And so they used those as commentaries, but they were not inspired by God to tell the complete story of Jesus Christ. In our uh, foundations class that we're actually, I'm sorry, in our uh, fundamentals class that we're having, Fundamentals of Faith on Wednesday nights uh, that we're having, we're going through the survey of the Old Testament and the New Testament right now. And in that survey, we are looking at and seeing that Jesus Christ is in every single book. Though he is not spoken of specifically, but you can see the archetype of Jesus Christ from Genesis, of course, all the way through, through the book of Revelation. And so when you, they put these books together, and to make it a little bit easier, they, they put them in some sort of an order, not necessarily all in chronolo chronological order. Uh, like, for instance, in the epistles, uh, the 13 of them, starting with uh, Romans, and then in all the way through, all 13 of them, they're put in an order of length, the largest book first and the second largest and so on and so forth. And uh, in, the New in the Old Testament, the first five books are in order, but everything else at that point seems to get out of order. And, but, but it tells a complete story. And the reason I'm telling you this is because when they started to look at the verses and how they would look at uh, these sections for themselves, they would say, okay, well, it's all, well, I'm going to turn to, they didn't have Bibles back then, they didn't have scrolls for everyone, there was one major scroll, and they would say, we're turning to wives, submit to your own husbands. They would say, that's the section that we're turning to. Or they would say in Romans, excuse me, in Psalms 23, instead of saying the 23rd Psalm, they'll say, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's where they will start off at. And, and so, Chapter and verses didn't come out till later, which made it a little bit easier for us to be able to look at. But it was never intended for God's Word to be parsed out like that. It was meant to be read in its entirety. And I'm going to kind of show you a little bit of a, of a, give you an example of how that applies to us today. Especially after we've been going through the book of Ephesians for the last, well, since we started in uh, July. July 25th was the first lesson that we, we taught on on these six chapters, and these six chapters can actually be read in about 15 minutes if you just read right through them. So it's very simple to read through, and it's very simple to get lost, and it's very simple to, you know, kind of, how do I apply this? But it was always intended to be read as one entire book. The church would sit down, the pastor would read the scroll, he would open it up, and, and he would read to the congregation, and then they would discuss it. And so sometimes they would go from you know, section to section, but every time at synagogue, they came out and they read these letters that Paul sent out to the church. 
And when we look at what we have been looking at these last few weeks, wives submit to your husbands, children submit to your parents, bond servants submit to your masters. And that seems to be the order. But as we, we had seen a little bit clearer and a little bit closer, we not only saw that wives are to submit to their husbands, but husbands are to submit to their wives. Not only are children supposed to submit to their parents, but parents are supposed to submit to their husbands. And likewise, in this section, bond servants submit to your masters, which makes sense, and masters are, are to submit to the bond servants or the working class. But, you know, and, and prior to this, prior to all this, Paul had already established this is who you are. And, and just by, by part of review and just going back once again to the first chapter of Ephesians, let me just reiterate kind of what we've been looking at. And you can, you can come along with me if you open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. The very first thing Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God. And he says, this is not my will. This is the will that God has given me. I mean, and this is how he found the will. And, and I went through a whole lesson on how to find God's will. And what is God's will? What is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my job, for my marriage, for the school that I go to? And I said, this is God's will. Number one, first of all, you need to be saved. God wills that everyone to be saved. There, he does not wish that anyone should perish, but that they come to repentance, as it says to us in, in 2 Peter chapter 3. And he also said in Ephesians 5.17 that it is God's will to be spirit-filled. We talked about that here just recently. It's also God's will that you're sanctified, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Sanctified means that you're in process, that you're working. You're getting rid of all the junk that you brought on yourself all these years and filling your mind with the word of God. And God is sanctifying you. It's, it, the, the, God's will is for you to be submissive in 1 Peter 2.13. This is the will of God, that you submit to the authorities, that you submit to the leaders, that you submit to the elders. And 1 Peter 4.9, God's will is that you suffer. Those are the five. Those are just five of the many things that God says. This is my will. My will is that you do this. My will is that you do that. And and in that whole thing, at the end of it, I said, now here's the one thing that God never answers. Which school should I go to? Which job should I have? Whom should I marry? God never answers that question. As a matter of fact, if you are filled, if you are saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submitted, and suffering for the cause of Christ, then you can do whatever you want. Because what will happen is when you are doing the things that God has called you to do in these things in His will, then what you do next is going to be according to your salvation, to your spirit-filledness, to your sanctification, to your submissiveness, to your, to your suffering that you're going through. You're going to do what God wants you to do. And the verse that I came up with, or not that I come up with, the verse that I used that Sunday was, you know, if you follow God, lean not on your own understanding and God will give you the desires of your heart. If God will give you the desires of your heart, not your desires, not what you desire. Okay, well, and this is how some people read it. Well, these are the things that I desire, so they're in my heart. Therefore, God must give them to me. No, God is going to give you his desire. God will give you his desire. Your desire is going to be his desire. And so, therefore, you, you, you'll know that you want to marry a person that is uh, saved, that is spirit-filled, that is sanctified, that is submissive and, su and suffering. You'll know that when you go to school, whatever school or whatever job you have, that you're going to go into it knowing that there, need, there needs to be people there that need to be saved, that need to be sanctified, that need to be... And, and so you'll go into these things knowing these things regardless of what job you get. I don't really think that God cares what job you get as long as it's not illegal and ethical or immoral. You're not you know, selling stolen parts 
Well, God doesn't care. Of course, he's not going to have you do that. It's contrary to the sanctification process. Maybe at one time you used to steal and, and sell things, but no longer are you doing this. So when we start off, the very thing we said, this is God's will. Paul says, by the will of God. And in verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Once you are understanding that you have been called, that you have been selected, and look at the rest of this verse, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. There it is again. He wants you to be holy and blameless in love. He predestined you from the foundations of the world. I was reading the book of Revelation last night as I'm reading through it. One of the things that stood out to me, and it's, it has stood out to me before, but you know, those that are under God's wrath are the ones that are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. This phrase is used at least four or five times in the, in, in the book of Revelation and other places as well. And your name, those that have been predestined, those that have been selected, those that have been called out, your name has been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. See, what Paul does in the first three chapters, he wants to set you up positionally. This is who you are. This is how you stand. And because of what Jesus Christ has done, he says, you've been blessed in the heavenly places, you know, beyond anything. He, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glory, grace, glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. If you understand anything about the adoption process in the United States, the adoption process in Rome was a lot harder. They would go through this process. They would buy and sell, buy and sell the person that was being adopted. You would have all these witnesses. And once this process came, you know, it was, it was some sort of a ritual, some sort of a ceremony that they would do. I, I'd like to have your son. I want to adopt your son. I want to adopt this child. You would never adopt anybody that was just on the streets. Mainly it was a person of prominence. They wanted somebody else's son uh, to be their son. And the father was willing to give them up. And it was a choice. By the father, by the owner, by the, the master. The master goes and he chooses the one that he wants. And in today's adoption agency, you, you want all these kids, but you know you can't bring them all home. You go and you look over the, 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 the application and the resume of all these children and you say, this is the one that I think will be good for me and my family. I will raise this one as my own. Do you know? That as an adopt, I don't know if any of you have been adopted, but do you know that as an adopted child in the United States or in most places, that you have more rights than a child that has been born into your, uh, in, into your family. A child that is born into your family, you can disown them. You can, you can write them off. But an adopted child, you could never write them off. And this is, this is amazing. When you understand the process and the doctrine of adoption, you start to understand the doctrine of election, of predestination. You start to understand that God chose you. And I know that there's this thought out there that believes that, you know, well, no, I chose God. You know, I, I made up my mind. You know how arrogant that sounds? That I, I'm the one that called on God and he saved me. Yes, you called on God. Yes, he saved you. But it's he who woke you up. And here, let me show that to you in, in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, you know, this is who you are. You, you, I want you to know something. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We look around us and we see the sons of disobedience. They hate God. 
As a matter of fact, the Bible says you hated God at one time. You were an enemy of God and you were under God's wrath. And again, in, in, the, in, in chapter, in Revelation, I, I believe it was chapter 18 that I was reading, that, uh, 16 or 18, where, where the seven, seven bowls are given to the seven angels. And it's the wrath of God that is being poured out on the non-elect. God's wrath is being poured out. And these guys do not repent as the boils come down, as the hailstorms come down, as the water turns to blood. And these bowls of God's wrath are being poured out and they do not change their mind. Why? Because they can't. They can't. And they won't. And to the end, they'll stand there and they'll curse God, but never repent. And you and I were dead in our trespasses, just like every other dead thing in this world. We cannot respond. We cannot ask. We cannot call. We cannot claim. We cannot do anything. And those that are in the world, those that are without Christ, that believe that, yeah, one day I will choose. You cannot. That's why, that's why God has to choose you. That's why God had to set you aside. That's why he predestined you. You were, you were following the course of the world, and of the prince of the power of this, this world, and, and this, everything that he gives us. Everything he gives us and he offers to the world is such sweetness. He offered it to Jesus. Look, I will give you the whole planet. You came to save the planet. Let's just cut to the chase. I'll give it to you. Don't worry about the cross. I know you're going to go to the cross. Look, if you just serve me, I will give it to you. Because it was rightfully his, according to what the Bible has taught us. And though God is the owner of all things, God made him the ruler of these things. To entice those that would rather choose him other than God. And they were among the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in our passions of our flesh, because our flesh cries out with passion for the things of this world. My passion needs to be fulfilled. I want to feel good. I don't want to feel sorrowful. I, don't, I sure enough don't want to be suffering. And I don't want to be subservient to anybody. I don't want to be subject. I don't, I don't want to have to go through the sanctification process. You know, okay, maybe I'll get spirit filled, but sanctification hurts. Because all this junk that I've accumulated all, all my life and my passion cries out the desires of the body and the mind and we're by nature children of wrath. There it is. See, I was dead in my trespasses. I was by nature, by the human nature, by my fallen state. I was, a, I was an object of wrath for God, of God. Look at verse 11 in chapter 2. Therefore, remember... And one of the things that Paul does, he, he always uses the therefore. Go back and look what I just said. Therefore, look at what I just said. When I put the word therefore, Paul says, I want you to see why it's therefore. And he says, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called uncircumcised by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope without God in the world. We were hopeless, no hope, nothing that could save us. We couldn't even save ourselves. We were objects of God's wrath. Look at verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And what Paul is saying, look, this is who you are. This is your position. This is who you are. And, and so he goes on in chapter 3, verse 14, and he says, for this reason. One of those therefore transitions. For what reason, Paul? Well, everything I just said. For the things that I just said, for this reason, 
I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer just, I, I, I just want you to know. I don't believe we know. I don't believe we know how much God loves us. We leave here and we think we're all depressed and we're, we're all you know, dejected. Everything's going bad. You know, God loves maybe the pastor and maybe that guy and maybe, you know, my mom, you know, because she's gone through a lot, but he doesn't love me. Maybe he loves those that are just, you know, always at church, but he does, you know, and this is Paul's prayer to you and me. He wants you to know. He wants you to know how wide, how high, how deep, how, how long and the depth of Christ's love for each one of us. And then he goes on to say now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or, or think of. You know, this is a prayer, beloved, that I don't think we know how to pray. To him who is able to do far more abundantly that we all ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I don't believe we know that strength. I don't believe we understand that power. I don't believe we, we really understand on what it is that God wants to do through you. Because all I ever do and all we ever do is do what we are limited to do. I can only do so much. And God says, I know that. I know how much you can do. I created you. But I want to do more and abundantly more, more than you can ever think or even comprehend or imagine. You know, you think this far, but I want to show you something greater. And so Paul says, this is your position. This is who you are. And then he says, now I want you to live this out practically. I want you to, to practice this. This is your position. This is your practice. This is who you were. This is who you are. And then he starts off in chapter 4. Therefore, he goes on again. I want you to go back what I just said. Therefore, read what I just said. A Paul, a prisoner for the Lord. And by the way, when Paul wrote this letter, he was a prisoner. He was in prison at this time. This is one of the, the four letters that he wrote to the churches. And he's writing to them. And he's thinking back. He's right at the end of his life. He's going to get beheaded. He doesn't know yet. But he's right at the end of his life. And I'm sure God's already showed him, you know. And so he's learned a lot. He's picked up a lot. And he's realized, you know, I've met a lot of these church members, a lot of these leaders. And, and you know, I just wish they knew how much God loves them. I just wish they knew that they were chosen from the beginning of the planet of, of the time of creation. I just wish, I mean, my, my prayer is that they understand this. Because God is an awesome God. You hate God. You don't want anything to do with God. And people say, oh yeah, no, I, I love God. No, you don't. You can't. Because if you did, you would respond to the call of repentance and repent. And stop this thing in my life that I'm doing to offend God. And we walk around thinking, yeah, but God knows. He understands. You know, I mean, I'm not perfect. He knows that I'm a work in progress. And we continue on in the life that we led before. Beloved, when you're born again, you're not born back into what you used to be. You're not. So he says, therefore, I urge you, and here's where we, here's where we have been at the last several months. I urge you to walk 
in the manner worthy of the calling to which you have called. This word urge, uh, it is a very strong, I, I plead, I, I beg you, I'm in chains, I'm in prison, I, I can't walk anymore, I'm chained up to this guard, and yes, maybe I can get around, people can come visit me, but I can't get out there, you start walking. I want you to do this. He says, do it in a manner that you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope and that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I want you to walk. How? Well, like this. This is how you should do it. Do it in all humility. Humility comes hard to us. We don't like to be humbled. In gentleness, we are more toscos than anything else. We're, we're hard. With patience, bearing with one another. I have no patience. But Paul is saying that's how you should walk. In gentleness and patience and bearing with one another. And so how do we do this? Well, in verse uh, 11 of chapter 4, he gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. Paul says you have pastors, you have teachers. The Bible was written by the prophets and the evangelists, apostles. You have evangelists. You have the tools that you need, and it's to build up the body so that you can all fit together. This is how you do it. You put everybody together. When, when, my, when my shoulder went out, and, it, and it's hurting, I, I've got to get the rest of my, my spine aligned. I've got to get my muscles massaged. I've got to get everything in line in order for it to work properly. And now I can turn my head. The other day, someone saw this patch that I had in the back of my, my neck, and they says, what happened there? I got me a new tattoo. No, I didn't. No tattoos for me. But anyways, you, you work at getting yourself aligned. You line, you know, when your back is out of whack and, and your feet hurt, you, you have to do something. Put on new shoes or whatever it takes to line yourself up in the body of Christ. Because God gave you that. He's given it to you. You've got all the tools. Now, look at verse 17. Now, once again, going back to what I just said, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, the futility of their minds. Well, how did they walk? How, you know, I used to walk that way. I don't remember no more because it's been a long time. Or maybe it, it, it doesn't seem to phase me anymore. You know, I do walk that way, but it's, it's kind of, you know, so what? You know, I'm trying to be nice and I, I want to be, be politically correct. I don't want to offend anybody, so I'm just going to, you know, do what everybody else does. And Paul says, no, I don't want you to do that. In verse 18, he says, they are darkened in their understanding. They don't understand. You know, there's a group of people in the world today that are trying to reset everything in this, in this world. And their understanding is, first of all, that there is no God. Excuse me, there is no God. And these people that have all the money, they're void. They have nothing, no purpose. And all of a sudden, they have this purpose to reset everything. Let's, let's just start all over again. We have to get to a utopia. 
We have to get to a place where the planet is, is green and it's efficient. There's 7 billion people on the planet, on a planet that can barely sustain 100 million people. So what we need to do is get rid of, you know, at least 6 billion people and we'll go from there. Let's start with half. Let's get rid of half of them and let's see what happens. And in their own understanding, their darkened thinking, because the earth and and nature is their religion and humanity, they kind of work together. Nature and humanity, they kind of work together. However, with some of these people, nature is even greater than humanity. And if you threaten nature, then you threaten humanity. And so therefore, they get rid of as much of humanity as possible to be able to sustain the rest. And in their thinking, they think, this is right. This is good. This is why they say, you know, I, I don't want to bring another child into this world. And if I'm pregnant, I'll just get rid of it. You know, I'll just, you know, murder it because it's just not right. The argument has always been, it's not fair to bring another child into this world like that, especially if there is something wrong with this child. How dare you want to do that? Yeah, you're right. And so in the darkness, their futile thinking, their understanding of the world and Mother Earth and and how it sustains the population, barely. And, you know, they want to reset this whole thing. You know, let's just let's just start it all over. And I don't know. Anyways, I don't want to get into too much of that. I will later. But they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Verse 19, they have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him. Paul says, you know, you didn't, you didn't learn Christ that way. Wait, wait a minute, you know, I just got to make, make a clarification here. Did, did you learn Christ? Do you know Jesus? Assuming that you were saved. You know, I can't be talking to you about the things of the word and the things of, the, of God if you're not even saved, it's not going to make any sense to you. As a matter of fact, for some, pe- some Christians, I've gotten into debates over Mother Earth, Mother Worship, you know, Mother Earth Worship, and, and how you know, that's, we have to be good stewards of the planet. Now, where does it say that? In the, well, we are supposed to be good stewards of the planet. It says so in the Bible, well, show me where. Where does it say that we need to be good stewards of the planet? Oh, yeah, well, we are to oversee the planet. We are to appreciate the planet. God gave us all these good things, and we are to take care of the planet. But, but that which you talk about is Mother Earth worship. You try to save the planet, recycle, energy efficient, all these things because the planet is dying. Don't you know that the Bible says that this planet will die? He will destroy this planet. I don't care how many cans you save. I don't care how many electric cars you drive. This planet is being destroyed, and it will be destroyed. Now, it doesn't mean that I go out and litter and don't care. Of course, I pick up my garbage, I throw it in the garbage can. But to have this mentality that I am saving the planet. You know, I'm not bashing your electric car if you have one. You have an electric car because it's fuel efficient. You know, gas prices are going to go up. All kinds of things are going on. And if you buy an electric car, that's fine. But... Don't believe that you're buying it to save the planet. Because this planet is unsalvageable. God's already, I mean, I know the end of the book. I was reading Revelation last night. I'll, I'll go over it with you again. And part of the reason I was reading Revelation is because of that which I'm going to be sharing with you in the next several weeks. But this is the darkened thinking. You, you didn't learn Christ that way. I mean, at least I don't think you did. I mean, I, I believe you're saved. There's evidence that you're saved. You want to know about God. You would desire to know about God. And I'm not following you around, you know, but maybe that's what I ought to do. Put cameras in your, no. What are you doing? What are you saying? What are you talking about? How are you acting and reacting? 
See, in verse 22, Paul says, well, then, you know, if you're saved, assuming that you have not learned Christ that way and taught, taught him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former way of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Yes, I had deceitful desires. Yes, I had a corrupt past. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. If there's going to be a reset, a renew, it needs to be in the spirit of your mind. There is so much damage going out there by people. People doing this and and they think, you know, if we can just reset everything and we can take care of humanity. Humanity has a problem and that problem is sin. It hates God. It hates God. Because if they love God, they would turn to him. They would repent. And 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. And so basically it's like, you know, you take off the old coat and put on a new coat. I am on a different team now. I am on God's team. And this is my garment. And this should be evidence to the world of who I am by what I say, by what I do, by where I stand, and how I cooperate and, and probably not cooperate with the world. Because he goes on to say, therefore, having put away all falsehood. Yeah, I was a liar. I was. Uh, to let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin, he says. He's not saying don't get angry. Just don't go sinning in your anger. Don't be cussing people out, yelling at them, hurting them. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. This is how he says we used to be. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. If you are stealing, just don't do it anymore. But rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Verse 29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. I know for a long time for me, that was the hardest thing to do. It seemed like every other word was the, you know, the other, the other word <laughs> instead of every. It's like, do, do you know that when you cuss, and I, I'm not saying that you do, but do you know that when people cuss, it really shows people's ignorance of their vocabulary? You don't have any other word to use. Really, that's the only word you know how to use. You know, there are a lot of other words that you can use. You know, I am so fed up. I, I am just so disgusted. Now, I can't believe you. You messed this up. Now, you put the F word in ending one of those. And, and, and people use it at the beginning, the middle, and at the end of the sentence. And then four or five times afterwards. Just because. That just shows your ignorance on how, how little you know the English vocabulary. Or Spanish, if you want to call it Spanish. You know, I can teach a monkey to cuss. I can teach a monkey to flip you off. Anybody can do that. And that's, the, that's my demented mind from the past. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't let any corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building up. And verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed. Paul says the Holy Spirit has sealed you. You're set. You're ready to go. Set, ready, go. This seal, when the Holy Spirit is taken out, guess what? Those that have the seal will be taken out as well. The taking up of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that the lawless one has not yet been revealed, but when he, talking about the Holy Spirit, is taken out, then the Holy Spirit, and then the, the, the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed. And when the Holy Spirit leaves, guess what? I'm, I'm, he's in me. So if he takes off, I'm going too. Once he gets taken out of here, we're all going. That's just the bottom line. And what will be left, will be a, you think it's lawless now. You know, the reason why the Antichrist hasn't come out, the lawless one hasn't been shown, the reason why there seems to be some sort of holding back is because of the Christians that are praying and that are hoping and waiting for those that are to be saved to get saved. 
God says, I, I, I don't want anyone to perish tonight, and I'm going to wait until all my elect are done and saved, and let's go. And that's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, clamor is loud noise. You, know, you, you, you want to know clamor? Go to Walmart. You'll see people yelling at each other. Uh, slander, be put away from you, along with malice. Malice is just, you know, wanting to hurt somebody because you just can or because you, they, they get you mad. Malice, uh, to, to, you know, just hurt and abuse and, you know, cause them to suffer. Paul says in 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as in God, Christ forgave you. Jesus Christ forgave you. And therefore, walking in the Spirit, walking this life, the worthy walk is to get away from those things. And then he goes back to chapter 5, verse 1. He says, be imitators of God. Man, that is a high calling. To imitate God? <laughs> really? How do I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. And he says, and walk in love as Christ loved, loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering. Then yeah, I need to do sacrificial things for people, for you and for each other. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. You know, going back again to the book of Revelation, one of the things that the, the great whore of Babylon, the Babylon is the city that is in control at that time, that has controlled the world, has controlled the economics, controlled all the ship, the trade, the selling, the gold. So all the things come out of Babylon. There's going to be one power, Babylon, one world power, one economic uh, rule, one, one monetary way of, of doing things. And they're working on this. And they've been talking about this for years now. You know this. This is the only way that the Antichrist is going to be able to control what you buy or what you sell. You, you know, these last two years, I mean, just this whole control of you, what you can do, where you can walk in, where you can walk out, and how things, you know, affected the economy. I mean, they've, they've broken things. You can't reset anything until it's broken. And so it, it was broken. And those that have money, those that have a lot, say, you don't need to own anything because we own it all. You don't need to own everything. And you don't need to own anything. And you're not going to own anything. And you're going to be happy. You're going to like it. They're going to make sure that you like it. And it's this Babylon, the Bible says that, yes, those that associate with Babylon and all their sexual immorality. It's interesting because... John sees that from way back then to the future. Jesus Christ showed him this revelation. And this is Babylon. She's going to be destroyed in one hour. Like a huge millstone is just going to be dumped upon her and boom, she's gone. It's just like stepping on an ant. God comes out and just crushes Babylon. And everyone that is involved in the sexual immorality with her. And it's interesting because we have such a sexually revolting culture in our world today that is following the voice of the dragon. I'm going to talk to you some more about the voice of the dragon. We're going to talk about being spiritually prepared. We're going to talk about the battle uh, and the armor that God has prepared for us. We're going to talk about that. This is the next section after this. But, but I, I have to kind of set that up. Because in what, what Paul has been talking, what he's been leading us to, is exactly that. He says, let, no, let, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which is out of place. Verse 5, for you, for you may be sure of this. And he says, be sure of this, that anyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetedness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And you know, it's interesting because he doesn't say here uh, any uh, pedophilias. He doesn't say any, uh, any uh, uh, transgender. He doesn't say any homosexuals. He says anybody that's sexually immoral, okay? That includes everybody. That includes you and me that are being sexually immoral. And, and you know, 
There are things that you may have done in the past. There's things that I've done in the past. And I know that I've been forgiven of it. But when you continue on in that lifestyle thinking, it's okay. Because all I'm interested in is my pleasure and my possessions. What do I have and how can I get more? And this is the concept of this new world. This order that's coming in, they want more and they want more pleasure. More pleasure and more. The problem is that it, it never satisfies and they're empty. This is why they are going into this huge idea of bringing this utopia into thinking, you know, if we can just do this, we would be happy. If we can just conquer the world. You know what's one thing they want to do? They want to get rid of cows. You will eat less meat. That's one of the, one of the goals of this group of people. To put it bluntly, mainly because they pass too much gas and they destroy the ozone. But on the back side of it, really, protein is what gives you stamina and strength. Protein increases your testosterone. Protein gives you the ability to be able to be strong, but they want weak, submissive people. That's what they want. They want to be able to lead you around and tell you what to do. Now, I don't share this with you to scare you. I'm just sharing this with you because this is what's going to happen. Whether it happens in our lifetime, as a matter of fact, this goal that they have of setting this whole thing into place is by the year 2030, in about another 18, 18 years. No, I'm sorry, eight years. In about another eight years, that's when this, all this be put into place. The United States has to be taken off the map. That's one of their goals. The United States is, no lo- is going to be no longer because it stands in the way. The United States, every other country is following along except for the United States. You are a problem. Western views, now catch this, Western views have got to be changed. And when they say Western views, what they mean is biblical views. Because the West has been the one that has promoted and pushed and, and set, set the agenda for the gospel message to be preached throughout the, 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 the world. And when they are talking about Western views on how this is why they've been doing such a a, a really good job in destroying the school system and rewriting history, destroying the educational system, destroying the, the family, destroying faith. They've infiltrated the faith now where you have pastors that will continue on as as homosexuals, transgender, all inclusive. We don't preach on hell. And so as it it continues on, let no one deceive you, Paul says in verse 6, with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. There it is again. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time, you were darkened. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And then in verse 15, it says, look carefully then how you walk. This is Paul's. This is Paul's message all through this whole thing. This is who you were. This is who you are. Be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Can someone say amen to that? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, but that is debauchery. Debauchery is, you know, just... All this bodily pleasure, sex, drugs, alcohol, just doing whatever it is that you can do. Addressing one another in Psalms. So he says here, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? And that's where we're at today. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, what happens is it causes you to sing. 
It causes you to give spiritual psalms and songs and, and singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. You see, I just read this as one complete book. And when you see it completely, and, and, I, and those of you that have been here in the, in the past few months when we've been going through Ephesians, all those things that we talked about right now, that we talked about back then, seem to have been popped up. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, I see how, now I see how it all fits together. When you take it apart bit by bit, it's kind of hard to kind of piece it together until it is brought all back together in one thing. Because Paul says, you know, I want you guys to submit to one another. Wives, submit to your husbands. Remember what I said when, when we were talking about the wives. Wives, uh, you know, they, they, they were chattel. They were just things. They only had babies and that was it. And the men went out with their concubines and their prostitutes to have fun. And that was, that's what they did. Wives had no bearing. Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands because your, your husbands are going to submit to you. They're going to love you. They're going to take care of you. They're going to provide for you. They're going to wash you. They're going to cleanse you. And the wives are thinking, well, it's about time I find somebody that understands what I've been going through. It's about time that women are, are, are taken out of this, this, this idea of just being a thing. And, and, and so husbands submit to their wives by providing for them. By, by, uh, and he goes on to say... Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and, he, and they give themselves up for her that she might be sanctified, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. And Paul goes on this in verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Can you imagine a woman in, 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 Greek, in, in Greece or in Rome? They says, he's going to love me the way he loves himself? Really? He goes, Yeah. This is the command of God. She is equal with you. Provide for her. Cover her. Honor her. Respect her. Love her. Pray for her. And the woman is saying, well, yeah, okay. You see, and in our world today, they've gotten this all twisted up. They got a lot of Christian women all mad. Oh, how you dare you? How dare you let that man be over you? That you be submitted to him. They don't understand it. And then the same thing, you know, children, kids were left to die. The child was born and didn't please the man. He just left it there. It's all right, let's go. Let's go home. In the marketplace, and that's where they would present the father with the child. And if the child didn't please the father, they just, if it was a girl, forget it. Maybe I need another daughter. Maybe I don't. And somebody would come by and people would stand around always waiting, these vultures, to raise these children up as slaves or as prostitutes. And they would sell them. And they would do these vile, wicked things to these kids. Now... Children that, that are in the household need to obey their parents because they're the ones that brought them into this world and kept them and loved them. Now, parents, submit to your children by bringing them up in the training of the Lord. Don't exasperate them. Don't cause them to anger. Don't cause them to bitterness. We talked about this last week. You submit to them in, in doing what you can to lift them up. Don't let them have authority over you. Teach them respect and authority and teach them how to honor God and parent and, and their spouse. And, and all of this, all of this is because the believer is spirit-filled. Paul just laid it all out from chapters 1 to 3. This is who you are positionally. Chapters 4 and 5, he says, and this is how you should act. Get rid of all that malice, all that anger, all that stuff. And you should be spirit-filled because you're going to need it. You're going to need it. And in that day of age, you know, it was, it was easy. It was good for the, I'll, I'll do that. I will submit to my husband because he's going to submit to me. Children says, you know, I'll submit to my parents because they're going to submit to me. And in today's lesson, number one, 
the submission. That was just an introduction, beloved. <laughs> Let me, I don't know. I didn't mean to get that far away. The submission of employees. Paul says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. As you would Christ. So the submission of employees, you submit to your employer, to your master back then, as if, you, as if he was Jesus Christ. You work for him, all that you do, anything that you do. Now, of course, you don't worship him, you don't bow before him, you don't, you know, kiss his ring. There's, it's, it's the attitude, it's the attitude. Number one, right underneath that, with the right behavior and the right perspective. Obey your earthly masters. Now, the thing about slaves, again, it's just like women, it's just like children, Bond servants. Bond servants were just another piece of tool. They had tools, all kinds of tools. You had, you had tools that would speak and tools that would work, like oxen, cattle, and then slaves. And you had tools that wouldn't do anything except you had to work them, like a saw, a hammer, or, but a slave was just the tool. And they discarded them as they would anybody else. Jewish people were never allowed to have slaves of their own kind. As a matter of fact, that wasn't, that wasn't slavery. That was kidnapping. Paul, uh, Moses told the people of Israel, don't ever take somebody else and sell them into slavery. That's kidnapping. Your life is, is uh, deserved by that. You shall give your life up if we ever find out that you're enslaving a brother. And so what the slave trade did in the 1800s and back and further and up to the 1900s, I guess, what they did was contrary against God's law, what, any, what anybody else would say. However, you would have slaves in the Jewish community of other people that they would, you know, they would get caught Stealing, or they would get caught not being able to pay their debt. So in order to pay their debt, instead of throwing them into prison, they became your servants. And you took care of them. And you watched over them. And every year, they had the opportunity to leave if they wanted to or stay. And if they were, uh, they were poor, they didn't have anything. I'd rather stay here, Master, if you don't mind. Yes, yeah. As a matter of fact, if you want to be my servant for life, then you need to, put, you need to let me put an earring. And they would put a hole in their ear, put an earring on their ear, and they were that person's property. And he took care of them. He was part of their household. And not necessarily property like you might think, or we just talked about, but they would take care of them, and they would serve, and they would feed themselves out of everything that they would receive. And, and most of the time, it was supposed to be in that manner. Of course, man, sinfulness, they took slavery, and they just made it an ugly thing. So in that sense, the slaves at that time... Paul is telling them, you know, you need to serve your masters with the right behavior and the right perspective. Obey your earthly masters because they're the ones that gave you the job. They're the ones that are feeding you. They're the ones that are clothing you. You know, they should be taking care of you. As a matter of fact, Peter says something similar. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly, for what, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. In other words, yeah, you might mess up and do something wrong, and they're going to have to punish you. But you know what Paul, Peter is saying? I want, you to, I want you to suffer. This is one of those things that Peter talked about that we talked about a little while ago. Peter says, it's God's will that you suffer. And especially if you did nothing wrong, and you're doing it because you're talking about Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy says the same thing. Let all who are under a yoke of bond, bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they, may, they must serve all the better, since that those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. In other words, 
If you're a Christian and you say you're a Christian, you walk to church, I mean, you walk to your job with the Bible in your hand, you got a bumper sticker in your, the back of your car that says honk if you love Jesus, and you got a cross hanging off your rearview mirror, and you go to church and you just don't show up on time, you, you know, you disrespect your boss, you, you don't get along with any of the employees, they're constantly having to reprimand you. They say, what kind of a Christian are you? It gives a bad testimony. Remember what I've said before. If people hate you because of Christ, then good. But if they hate Christ because of you, then that's not good. And a lot of, lot of people, a lot of, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, you can't treat me that way. And, you know, but look at the things that you're doing. Well, my contract says, and I'm with the union, and, I'm, you know, and there's this struggle. I'm sure glad I'm not one of those Christians. You see, and so what Paul is saying is that, you, you know, you're going to come to church, and you might sit next to somebody that you know, maybe your boss. And you come to church, and you don't disrespect them, you don't pal around with them, you're brothers together, but you, you look at their authority, just like you would look at the authority of your parents. You come to church together, you sit down next to each other, you go home, and you still have the same authority over you. But here, we're all the same, and we're all learning, we're all developing together. But then there's those roles that each one of us have to play. There was a, uh, I went to, uh, over here at Glen Helen, I went to Glen Helen to pick up some material. They were going we're gonna to use it at the church. And uh, the guy that was overseeing the whole thing, he says, what, what are you guys doing with this? He says, well, we're going to use this for our revival that we're going to have here in a few weeks. And so we're going, oh, really? Yeah, what church do you go to? What church is it? And I told him, yeah, I go to church too. The guy that was working for him stepped back and says, you go to church? <laughs> and I looked him straight in the eyes. I said, you know, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. If somebody has to say that about you at work, you, you go to church, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. See, I, the, I must be submissive to my employers with the right at number two, with the right attitude and commitment. The right attitude is fear and trembling. Not that you're afraid of them. Not that you're going to be cowering, you know, oh my God, here he comes, here he comes. No, it's this fear of respect and trembling of honor. You know, I, I know that, that you have hired me and I want to do a good job and with a sincere heart. You know, 1 Thessalonians 4.10, For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. You need to work with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, asking and, and doing and, and following the directions of your superiors. On the back of your outlines with the right motive and the right work ethic. You do this, you know, you obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. So Paul says this, so whether you eat or drink or whether you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. One year I preached a sermon, in, uh, one Sunday, I preached a sermon that how to get a new job. You should see this. People showed up next the following week. How to get, I'm going to show you next week how to get a new job. Really? Because I want my new job. He says, okay, here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. You work as if you're working for God. You no longer work for this guy. You're working for Jesus. So everything you do is if you're doing it for Jesus. Oh, come on. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I want a real job. This is, this is a real job. I don't, think, I don't think God cares what you do as long as it's not illegal and unethically moral. And, and you do it with all your heart. You do it so that you don't, they don't blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ. You, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever, you do it all for the glory of God. And uh, 
verses 6 and 7 is not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. In other words, don't sit there and just do it because they're watching you. Not because they're watching you, they're looking over you. It, it's like these, these, this guy that was working with the backhoe and he was digging out this trench, this long trench. It must have been about almost a, you know, 100 yards and, and he was digging it and it took him several days to do that. And there was a guy that was just standing there and just standing there like this and he was just looking at him and walked around and just looking at him. And this guy was just working hard and working hard and he was sweating bullets thinking, man, I hope he, he really approves of what I'm doing. And, and, he's, you know, and he's looking at, and then after he was done, he gets off and says, so, so how did I do it? He says, hey, you did a pretty good job. By the way, who are you? I, I just live right down the street. I was really impressed at what you're doing here. You mean you're not the boss? <laughs> he thought he was the owner. And sometimes we work in that manner because we think that they're watching us. Not as the way of eye service or people pleasers. You work really hard when they're there, but they, hey, don't forget it. Get back on my phone and start playing Candy Crush or whatever. Or roulette. But as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a, with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. Paul says this several times. Do it as if you're doing it to the Lord. Do it, do it as if you're doing it to the Lord. Do it as if you're doing it unto God. Not because they like you. You do it because you've committed to do it. When you got hired on, you said, I will do the job. And always do more above and beyond. Always. Whatever your hand finds to do, uh, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 9.10, Whatever you, your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and show to which you are going. Do it now. Because once, you're, once it's done, it's done. And it's amazing how I talk to a lot of people that have retired. Oh, man, I wish I could do that again. I, I would do it better. You know, I, man, I don't even have the strength to it. I can't even stand up. My feet hurt. My back hurt. You know, I, I just wish I could have done it different, better, worked harder. Once again, in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And then the last thing for employees, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Whether you're the bondservant, whether you're not the bondservant, here's, here's the beauty behind this. You're going to get your reward. And the retirement benefits are out of this world. Amen? Because God keeps track. And he said, you know, that boss didn't treat you fairly. That company didn't treat you fairly. Those people just really, you know, but you worked hard. You did your due diligence. And you didn't complain. You didn't whine. You didn't, you know, throw things around. You, didn't, you know, you did what you had to do. And you did it. You did it with a good heart. Not as eye pleasers or eye service or people pleasers. You did it because you were doing it unto me. Therefore, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come into the inheritance that you have received. Employers, verse 9, it says, Masters, do the same thing. What, what do you mean do the same thing? Well, you know, do it with the right, right behavior, right perspective, the right attitude, the right commitment, the right motive, and the right work ethic. I'm sorry, that was the last fill-in on the top, of the, the top of the page here. With the right motive and the right work ethic. Do it the same way. And stop your threatening. You know, if you're, if you're a boss, if you're a, an owner, if you're over some people, stop threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. You know, th those things that the boss does to you or those things that you as a boss do to others, God is keeping record of that. So you don't have to threaten. Just here's what you have to do. Here's how you do it. You do it. And, you know, there is no partiality. 
Peter said himself, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Paul says in Romans, for God shows no partiality. James says in 2.9, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. If you show partiality because of their prominence, because of their stance, because they know more, they have more, whatever the case may be, you like them more, you know what? You're committing a sin. And all of this, all of this in verse 21, going back to 521, is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, why did I go through all that from the very beginning to get us to this point? Because in verse 10, Paul says, finally, okay, I think I'm done now. Now I can kind of share with you on the things that are going on in this world. There's a demonic force that's in this world. That dragon has been speaking in the ears of leaders. And these leaders believe that they know what's best for you and me. And these leaders throughout the world are putting this one world order together. And this one world order that is going is to take place, I mean, we know this already. This is not to scare you. This is not fear-mongering. This is just prophetic truth. And, and all of these things, you can get so easily sucked up into it. If you're frightened into it, if they tell you, you know, you can't buy or sell, you can't come to the hospital unless you've been, you know, you got the mark. You got to have a mark of some sort. And it started off with the mask, you know, and, and it's, I think it was very immoral what they did to these healthcare workers that were on the front lines, you know, risking their lives to get sick. And they, they, they wore masks, they took care of things, and, and they were called the heroes. And all of a sudden, okay, if you don't get vaccinated, well, we don't want to get vaccinated. We've been working here fine. Well, you got to get vaccinated. Well, you, you know, you have to. Either you get vaccinated or you lose your job. And they go, well, that's silly. How can you lose our job if all this time we've been working unvaccinated we were okay? Now we got, that just doesn't make any sense. And it didn't. And it still doesn't. Now, I'm not against the vaccination. I think you should get it if you need it and you're part of that, that you need to have it. The point I'm trying to make is that there is going to be, the, you think this was scary. You think this really scared you, this, this COVID. You really think that this, this was scary. And, and it was, you know, I got sick. I was in the hospital, you know, and, and I, I said, okay, if this is my time, this is my time. You know, you think this is something. They have found a way to scare the whole world all at once. They found a way to do it. This is what they were waiting for. They were waiting for something. Ten years ago, they tried this. They tried this with um, Y2K. I don't know if you remember Y2K. Most Mexicans didn't really pay attention to it because Y2K is y tu que? <laughs> Yeah, I know. Y2K. No. Y2K. Yeah, you got it? <laughs> Y2K was this, you know, the, 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 the clock is going to change and it's going to go to the 2000, everything is antiquated, all our computers are going to crash and everything is, I mean, they really tried it, they sold it and they sold it and I, I bought into it. I go, oh my God, it's all going to get all my money out, you know, let's buy, let's buy a bunch of stuff and we stockpiled and everything and the next year, he was happy new years. Everybody was awake, what happened? I don't know, it's, nothing happened. They tried it. Then they tried it with another flu, the swine flu. The, you know, they, they've been trying this for some time, and they finally got it to work. They finally got it to work. Now they have this whole setup, and they, they ain't going to let it off. You think this is normal? You think they're going back to normal? No, normal isn't coming back. Jesus is. Amen? Jesus is coming back. And he will save you, and he will take you out of this world. But you have to be spiritually prepared. So when I said a little while ago, we're going to go through Romans 6, verses 10, 11, and maybe 12, you know, in the next several weeks. We're going to take some time to go through the, every part of the armor that you need to, be, have, need to put on. The next five weeks 
are the next five weeks are right before Seder. Seder is April the 10th. And then after April the 10th, is, it's the Resurrection Sunday, which is April 17th. So on the following Sunday, the 24th, we will start with the full armor of God. But prior to that, I want to share with you why it is that you have to be careful of the dragon and the voice of the dragon and how to distinguish the voice of the dragon and the voice of God. Very simply, it's really easy. You just fill yourself with the word of God and anything else that comes in is the voice of the dragon. That's it. It's very simple. And, you know, yet we still have to understand that this is uh, something that is happening because this is the way it's supposed to all turn out. So for the next several weeks, we're going to get into the uh, Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Because I can't be strong in my own strength. Every time I try to do it on my own, I fail. I fall flat on my face. I fall to a point where it's just not, you know, I, I have to repent. Lord, please forgive me. I've tried it on my own strength, and it's not going to happen. But what we'll do is in the next several weeks prior to Seder, we will talk about the voice of the dragon. We will talk about how to distinguish. And like I said, very simple, very easy, really, to be honest with you, is just fill your mind with the Word of God. Because when you know this, then everything else is just a counterfeit. It may sound good, but when you know this, then you know that everything else is just falsehood. Let me ask you to stand. It has been, for me at least, a challenge. I have fallen prey to the voice of the dragon from time to time. I get scared, I get flustered, I get frustrated, I get anxious. And there are things that I've done because of what I hear and see on TV and news articles and newspapers. But you know, this, this whole thing that is going on, this, this whole thing that I shared with you a little while ago about this, this world order that's coming, this whole thing, it's not to scare you, it's just to prepare you. That it's, it's so simple. If the last two years have taught us anything, it's that they can do everything, anything just overnight. Just like that. But the great thing is, like I mentioned earlier, the, the, the city of Babylon, the one that's going to be in control of all things, that's going to be taken care of just by throwing a rock in the water. They will, God will demolish that city, that country, that superpower in just one fell swoop. And so remember that. Remember that God loves you with this love. And you can't even know, begin to know the depths, the heights, the width, the length of his love. And it is that love that we need to know, God, that we need to hold on to. It is that love that you've poured out on us that gives us assurance, that get, allows us to persevere, to go through all things. And when we let these little things, Lord, to, to trip us up, these little things like this anger, that we go to bed in our anger, and in our anger we sin, and the things that we say and the things that we do, and how the lust of the flesh just seems to carry us from this point to the next and uh, one step at a time. And, and it just seems that I have to get back to, to the church to, to be able to feel some sense of normalcy. Lord, our norm normalcy should be you. We know that normal isn't coming back, but we know that you are. And we know that you, my God, have already placed it within us. We know where we stand now. At least we should know. And because of that position that you've placed us in, this is our practice now. So thank you, Father, for bringing us through this marvelous letter that Paul put together for the people in Ephesus, but has even come to this point where we've been able to, to read it and look at it. 
we looked at it today in, in just one, one whole. And how it just came together, Lord. I just thank you for that. So I, prepare, I pray that you prepare our hearts now to receive this communion with you. As we share this, this cup and this, this wafer that symbolizes your body and your blood. So Father, thank you once again for being so good and so righteous. I pray that you lead us in all things this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name.